Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, October the 17th. Our scripture today comes from the book of Daniel. I just forgot my chapter markings. <laughs> Daniel 6, 25 through 28. If you want to follow along in your Bible, it's on page 631. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language on earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Then King Darius wrote to... Yeah. For he is the living God and endures forever. His kingdom is, uh, will not be destroyed. His dominion will not, never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Blessed is the word. Amen. All right, if the young ones want to come up, got a story for you today. Whenever talking to grandma and grandpas, they would tell us lots of stories. And they generally found in one of two categories. Either they were family stories that were kind of interesting and funny to us, like grandma would always tell stories about her and her brother Luke, and Uncle Luke was a weird guy. Like, well, this one isn't so much about that, but they always went to one park, and in the summer they would have a contest to see who could sit on the brass sculpture of the deer the longest. Grandma always won because she always wore slacks. But that was that same park where they would go sledding. And when Uncle Luke wouldn't give Grandma his, um, her turn, and he wrecked at the bottom of the hill and hurt himself, she just went home and told Graham, her mother, I don't know where, where Luke is. Or the time that Luke, in that same park, found a, I guess you'd call it, call it a firework, but it couldn't launch. The rocket didn't work. So he decided to set it off in his backyard, thinking it did, and shattered all of great-grandma's dishes, windows, and the neighbors as well. Grandma said, I don't know where the blast came from, or great-grandma said, I don't know where the blast came from, to the police. Of course, there was a hole in the backyard. You know, those family stories, like, if I say the words, wed wallipop, David's going to smile. But it doesn't make any sense to y'all. That's our inside joke. You can't know. It'll probably pop up in a sermon eventually. <laughs> but then we have those meaningful stories. Those stories that we tell because they changed our direction in life. Who we are, how we became who we are. And they mean something deeper. And we don't tell those stories as often because they are often harder stories to tell. 
But that's what the Bible is full of. People whose lives changed from some major event happening to them. You know, there's the ones who God interacts directly. In Genesis, that is, that is the story of Genesis over and over again. You know, why did Adam and Eve leave the garden? God. They weren't planning on it. Why did, you know, Noah didn't wake up one morning and say, I feel like building a giant boat. Sounds fun. I'll collect animals and put them in it. That did not happen. And if not for God, Abraham would have remained a herder living in the land of the Chaldeans. Then there are those whose lives change because of the decisions they made or other people made. You know, there's like Joseph. He didn't decide to jump down into the cistern and sell himself into slavery. Moses didn't... Uh, Moses made the choice to run to Midian. I mean, his whole first part of his story is him and others making choices. His mother chose to put him in the water, and that saved him and gave him a different direction in life. Moses chose to kill the Egyptian, which meant he had to flee Egypt. Moses chose to save some women at a well and ended up becoming part of their family. But perhaps, perhaps one of the people whose life really was created by those around him and then taken a hold of by God, that, that would be Daniel. So to tell the story of Daniel, you really have to start with Saul. Briefly, Saul, David, Solomon, the three great kings of the unified nation of Israel. All 12 tribes brought together for the first time under one banner. And then Solomon dies, and let's face it, at the end of his life, he wasn't a very nice guy. His son takes over and says, guess what? I'll be even worse. Like, he literally did that. And so he leaves. Or rather, I mean, he gets dumped by 10 of the tribes, and we have the two nations. The northern tribes are Israel. The southern tribes are Judah. Israel becomes big and powerful. They become wealthy. Their kings marry the daughters of other kings. They make trade routes. They are a powerhouse. Until this group shows up called the Assyrians. And they aren't nice people. And the Assyrians come in and they conquer Israel. And they scatter them out. Then Assyria goes down to Judah. Judah was never as powerful. It was smaller and it was up in the mountains, but they had stayed more faithful to God. Now being up in the mountains and more faithful to God had the added benefit that they could actually fight the Assyrians off, mostly. And so Judah started to be a client state, meaning they always sent food and money and slaves to the Assyrians for the right to not be conquered. I mean, they could have fought him off, but it would have been a losing process eventually to the power of the Assyrians. And so they lived like that. The Assyrians' power came and went. The Babylonians, the new Babylonians, took over Assyria and took over Judah as well in the same way. And Judah continued to pay. But as Judah continued to exist, they went from having mostly good kings with a few bad 
to mostly bad kings with a few good. And by the time you reach that, one of them gets this idea in his head. I am going to free Judah. I am going to pull us out so we don't have to pay tribute to anyone anymore. And then he looked at the situation and said, this is a terrible idea. I can't do this. But I have a sneaky way to do it. I'm going to go down to Egypt. And I'm going to tell the Egyptians, hey, you should fight the Assyrians. Or something like that. Or the Babylonians. So he tricks the Egyptians and the Babylonians into starting a war. And the Egyptians kind of send a few people and say, it's not worth it. And they leave. As one might expect, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, was a little peeved at all of this. And he decided, that's it, I'm taking over Judah. The king is killed in a siege. His young son is captured. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar puts his uncle, Zedekiah, on the throne. Zedekiah is then forced to take many of his best and brightest, sons of the nobility, daughters of the nobility, those of high birth and merchant class, and send them to Babylon. That's where Daniel's story really starts. He's just a young, noble boy. Teenager, really. We don't know much about him. If this had not happened... For all we know, Daniel would be just a footnote in the Bible. You know, we might have gotten like one little story in which they mentioned, oh, and the scribe Daniel who worked for king, blah, 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 blah. And that's all we would know of him. Maybe he would have been like one of the minor prophets, and he would have had a section of prophecy that, you know, fits somewhere between Hosea and Obadiah. But that's not what happened. Instead, he is taken and put in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, a life that he had not expected, a plan that had gone awry. He is in a new place, and it's not looking good. Around him are other brothers, other young Jewish men, and some of them decide that maybe when in well, I guess Babylon, not Rome, but you know the old saying, do as the Babylonians. So they dress like Babylonians. They eat like Babylonians. They worship Babylonian gods. They talk like Babylonians. Daniel didn't want to do that. And so he went to the king and said, please, let me dress how I wish to dress. Let me eat as I wish to eat. Let me worship my Lord, my God. And the king said, all right, we'll run a test. So he lets some of the men do as they wish, and he let Daniel and his friends, you heard of their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Abednego. And he let them go do as they wish. And after a certain amount of time, the men who were living like the Babylonians were getting gradually unhealthier, and Daniel and his friends were getting better. Now, I'm not going to go into the full story of Daniel because, frankly, Daniel's stories are the stories we learn as kids. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, the writing of the hand on the wall. 
Daniel continues. Now, he actually becomes a legendary figure. There's a difference between legendary and mythic. Mythic, it's just made up. Legendary, it's based in a real character, but we have lots of stories that no one can really actually hammer down. If you have a copy of a Bible with the Apocrypha in it, there is usually three or four more stories all about Daniel. And that only represents a small part of it. Daniel becomes one of the most famous figures in early Judaism. He's somewhere between Robin Hood, Sherlock Holmes, and Merlin. Going around, solving problems, killing dragons, catching thieves, and accusing people who are trying to do evil things. We have no idea how much of that is true, but it goes to show just how important he was to the early Jews, the kind of character they knew him to be. Daniel, whose story was completely changed, came into a situation he didn't want to be in, a position of danger, and he stuck to his faith, he stuck to his morals, and through it all, he managed to rise up to such a position that when the Persians came in and took over the Babylonians' empire, he was able to protect the Jews and even help ensure that the Jews were able to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple. He helped end the exile. Now, what does that have to do with war or wine, you may ask? In fact, most of you probably are asking who Laura Wine is, and I wish I could tell you more, but there's not a lot out there about her. She's most remembered for her death, but we'll get to that. So Laura was born in an interesting moment in American Christianity history. Christianity in America, just like anything, has waves. Different new fashions, different ideas come, become popular, and then that popularity ebbs, and then something new. So we have things like the First and Second Great Awakenings. We have the Jesus Movement. We have the rise of televangelism. We have the rise of charismatic religions and Pentecostal traditions. She lived at a moment right at the turn of the century where after the first and second great waves of awakening had ended and people didn't know what to do. The great waves of awakening, the great awakenings, their idea was there are not Christians all over this country. There are many people spread out and they may have a Bible, but they don't have community. And so, especially the Methodist and the Baptist would send out missionaries and start new churches all across the country. And we went from a nation that was predominantly Congregationalist and, and Anglican to a nation that was predominantly Methodist and Baptist. But by the turn of the century, there was no room left. The entire nation had churches. And so began the missionary movement where all of a sudden we can take steamships, getting to China, getting to India, getting to the Middle East, it was still hard, but it was a lot easier than it was just 30, 40 years before. And so they started spreading out. Churches started funding missions and missionaries, and new churches 
sister churches popped up all over the world. Laura wanted to do that. She read the great commandment and she wanted to fulfill it. She wanted to spread the gospel to the east and the west and the north and the south. Particularly, she wanted to go to China. That was her plan. I am going to China. So she went to classes. She learned her Bible in and out. She learned techniques to help support herself while on mission. She even went to classes and learned Mandarin, which I don't know about you, that sounds incredibly difficult to me. As a speaker of English, German, and Spanish, and French, at least they're adjacent. Mandarin's a whole different system. <laughs> but she learned it. And she got all ready to go, and she went to the doctors, and they said, you are too sick to go. You have to stay. She's kind of the opposite of Daniel. Daniel was sent from a comfortable setting and put in an uncomfortable setting. She was ready to go to the uncomfortable, but told, you got to stay. If you go, there's a good chance you're going to die. So she stayed. For the next 40-some years, she trained and then became a nurse, working in all kinds of situations all around Chicago, finding a way to be a missionary and to serve people's spirits as well as their bodies. She was most well-known in her local congregation as someone who gave it their all. She actually would, she would tithe 30% of her income, which is a huge amount if you think about it. I mean, it's like what I pay for rent. But she would tithe 30%. She, she lived her faith where she was. It wasn't the plan, but she did it where she was. But then she retired. And they said to her, you know what? You can't go as a missionary still. But we need nurses in Nigeria. And so she went to Nigeria to serve there. And, and this is the early brethren movement. And if you know, there are more Church of the Brethren in Nigeria than there are in the U.S. There's a lot of Church of the Brethren out there. The E-Y-W-N-C or something. I always mix up the letters. There she continued to do as she did in Chicago, where she served people's bodies and their souls teaching them brethren values, teaching them the gospel while helping care for them. Now, the reason she's remembered in history is that she was stationed in a, in an, a village named Lhasa, L-A-S-S-A. -S -S and in Lhasa, there was an outbreak of a hemorrhagic fever called Lhasa disease or Lhasa fever. And she was one of the first, if not the first, American to die of the fever, which spread like wildfire um, in the news channels, as well as leading to an epidemic there in Nigeria. It was a very different story than Daniel, very much the opposite, but both of them found 
that they could follow their faith wherever God's plan took them in the end. They had both had plans, plans for what they were going to do with their lives, and in both cases, the plans changed. And because the plans changed, they were able to do more than they had originally considered. And both of them brought glory to the kingdom by doing so. For Daniel, the message that was sent out to the peoples all over the, the lands of Persia, proclaiming God, ensuring that God could be worshipped. For Laura, she helped bring faith to people there in Nigeria, helped introduce them to a way of peace, of discipleship, and she cared for their bodies. She cared for the sick as they were dying, and then she died herself from the same disease. You never know where God is going to lead you. You never know what the plan is really going to be. You know, I sometimes wonder that with Jesus. How much did Jesus know where life was going to lead him? Because sometimes it feels like Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen, and sometimes Jesus seems to kind of go with the flow. We're called to live like that, though. That whatever the situation happens to come on our way, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim God, to proclaim the way of righteousness, no matter what happens. So, as you go out today, think of Laura Wine, a name that probably you will never encounter again unless you go looking for her. By the way, all of the old messengers are archived online. You can find articles about her. Remember her. Remember that she was willing to make the best of where God led her. And whatever situation you find yourself in, know that you can make the best of it, that God's still with you, even if it's not where you were planning to be. Blessed is God who leads us and walks with us. Amen. Kind of already said my benediction, but I will repeat it because it always bears repeating. Fear not when you find yourself in unusual places. Fear not when you find yourself in places that are not comfortable. Fear not when you are places where, well, you're fearing. God walks with you. God works through you. Whatever the situation is, wherever you find yourself, God is there too. You are not alone. Don't be afraid. Don't walk like those who've forgotten. Don't eat like those who've forgotten. Do not dress like those who've forgotten. Go despite, because God walks with you. Amen.